I really don't know how people get by in the world without a community of support surrounding them. You know, now that I think about it, there are a lot of people in this world not getting by. And it's because they have bought into the lies that culture tells us. And culture tells us all kinds of lies. They tell us, tell us lies about our marriage. They tell us lies about our mindset. They even tell us lies about our money, how we should spend our money, what we should do with our money. And it moves us further and further away from the life God has designed for us. You see, if you do what culture says to do with your money, you will get culture-like results. But if you do what the Redeemer says to do with your money, well, you're going to get redeemed results. So today, what we want to do in our generous series, talking about living a life that's open-handed, a life that is generously outflowing to people around us, is I want to walk through four lies that culture tells us about money. Lies that maybe you believe or you've believed at some point in your life. Lies that you see people in your family believing or most certainly people on social media in your neighbors and the world believing. You see, in John's gospel, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never, what, walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. You know, when I think about money in our world today, it is a dark topic for a lot of people. Uh, sadly, it is a place of bondage for many people, of shame, of guilt, of embarrassment, of mistakes that you have made in your past or that you're making right now. And it's a hard, dark place to go back into. But again, if we can filter these lies and our precepts of money, if we can filter them through scripture, there is light to be found. And what we want in this series is for you to view your money as a tool. It is nothing more and it is nothing less than a tool. It is a tool that can be used for good for the kingdom of God. But first we have to break down these lies that shackle us. So let's just dive into the first one. The first lie culture tells you about money is that you will be happy when you buy blank. Fill in the blank. Fill in your own blank because your blank is going to be different than my blank. Right? You will be happy when you finally update your iPhone. You will be happy whenever you finally get that house with the pool in the backyard. Oh, if I can just lay out in the sun, oh, all the joy will be found. Oh, you'll be happy whenever that purse comes into the mail. Two-day shipping? Come on, I need it in a day. You'll be happy whenever you have a boat, and you can finally buy a boat for your family. Right? Circumstantial happiness is a lie. I will be happy when I can finally get that thing. That mindset has completely taken over our culture. We live in a world that worships stuff. We worship it. We want more of it. Our identity comes with it. And some of you are thinking, you know what, Peyton? I hear what you're saying, but I think I would actually experience happiness on a boat. <laughs> like if my family could buy a boat, like have you ever seen anybody unhappy on a boat? First, talk to a boat owner. They'll tell you how happy you'll be once you buy a boat. Second thing is, I'm not saying that you won't experience happiness, but you won't be happy. 
And there is an essential difference between those two things. If acquiring stuff is your foundation for happiness, then you will be a rat in the wheel for the rest of your life. You won't own your stuff. Your stuff will own you. Did you know that God talks about money in the Bible more than he talks about heaven and hell combined? There's a lot of things God has to say about money, about acquiring stuff. And the majority of the conversation, be it through parables or wisdom in the Old Testament, it's all warnings, or the majority of it is warnings. It's sirens and red flags about the deviousness of money, from the story of the rich young ruler to the fool in Luke's gospel that Jesus says kept building bigger barns. You have James and Paul talking about the rich hoarding their riches and lording it over other people. There's a lot of warnings and signs about acquiring stuff. And I want you to hear me. It's not bad to have stuff. Stuff's not bad. You can even have nice stuff and be a devout follower of Jesus. But does that stuff own you? Do you get your identity from those things? And if either of those questions is true, then you don't actually have any options. Here's what I mean by that. You will miss the opportunities to honor God and do something meaningful with your life because you are a slave to the things that you own. Or as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot, hear it again, you cannot serve both God and money. And man, that runs counterculture to a world that values stuff. And so here's what we have to do. So we have to catch this mindset creeping into our lives before the seed of comparison takes root in our heart. Man, if I could just have what they have, I'll be happy. If I could just go on the vacations that they go on, bliss will be mine. Here's what Greg Crochelle says about comparison. He says it the best. Comparison will either make you feel inferior or superior, and neither of those comes from God. Here's the raw truth. You are doing everything you can to keep up with the Joneses, and the Joneses are broke. They're broke. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 40% of Americans cannot afford a $400 emergency in cash. What that means is that you are comparing your life to people who can't afford the life that they are living. And then what happens is you carry the Joneses in your back pocket with social media. And it exemplifies, puts an exclamation point on everything of everything you don't have and everything they have that you don't. And it makes you want, it makes you desire, it makes you compare. A lot of my peers are beginning to have kids these days. And I love seeing pictures of kids. One, I'm like, you're suffering just like I am, so I got you, right? But I love seeing how like kids are compared to their parents, how they look, it's awesome. One thing that amazes me every time are parents, especially my age, that have three plus kids. I have two. I'm treading water right now. I'm just like, I can do this. Come on, just two. It's just two. Three and more. I don't know how you do it. Y'all are heroes, parents, the ones that have three plus kids. Cart reaches, I don't, you're in a whole different category. 
there was one one time I was on social media and my one of my friends they have four kids already they have four kids and they did this family photo shoot it was amazing they were in a park it's that golden hour you know when everything just looks beautiful leaves are falling in the background they have a blanket laid out all the kids are matching the whole family is matching but the kids have their names embroidered on their shirt because it's the south and I guess that's what you do so they're all smart here's the amazing thing the thing that caught me off guard every single kid was looking at the camera and smiling. I look up from my phone, Arlo's ripping off his diaper, and Hollis is exploding out of his on Darian's lap. And I'm thinking, what did I do? How did I mess up? Where did I go wrong on this thing? Comparison will not just steal your joy, it will steal your paycheck. So how do we combat this comparison cycle that we find ourselves in? I'm not going to put these on the screen, so you're just going to have to write them down. But we're going to have to have a mental, a mental check right now. We're going to change some mindset with three words. Number one is gratitude. Gratitude. Christine Kane says this about gratitude. Gratitude is not just what he has given us. It's what he has entrusted to us. Now, that's a mindset change about who owns what in your life. It's no longer you that owns the things that you have, but you are a manager to what God owns. Your job, your investments, your kids, your education, whatever it is that you have, you are a manager of those things that God has entrusted to you, but they're not yours. And here's the amazing thing about that mindset change is that if the owner says to give it away, you give it away. It's his, it's no longer mine. But if the owner says enjoy it, well, you enjoy it. Guilt is not attached to it, but it all cycles down to this mindset of gratitude. Am I grateful for the things God has entrusted to me? What am I doing with it? Second mindset change to help us out of this comparison cycle is humility. Humility. Rick Warren says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? Humility is not about putting yourself down. Rather, it's about building the people around you up. Right? And culture tells you it's all about you. You have a phone that has a camera specifically to take pictures of you. <laughs> right? We are a me-centered culture. Humility says it's not just about me. It's looking outward. Am I grateful for what I have and who is around me that can be blessed with it? The third mindset change to break us out of this comparison cycle, it's contentment. Contentment. Now, that's not apathy, and that's different than laziness. You can still have goals, you can still work hard, you can still strive to be better. Contentment is a peace that the Holy Spirit provides to you. It goes to your heart, it goes to your mind, it says that you are enough, and you are exactly where you need to be because you are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with the gifts that God has given you. And you can break that cycle of comparison. Let's go back to our lies, the lies that culture tells us about money. The second lie culture tells us is that you do not need anybody else. You don't need anybody else. You can do this on your own, right? And in America, we applaud self-sufficiency. We lift people up who are able to do it. We, we modeled them. They're on the front page of our newspaper against all odds. They were able to do it. 
even though they tread it alone. Looking at Scripture, though, we're not only known by God, but we're not put into a position to do this alone. Luke chapter 12, verse 7, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen to this. The truth is God knows you. He knows every part of you. And he has specifically placed you in a community of believers. Look around this church building. Look at the people sitting next to you, on your pew, in front of you, behind you. Don't make it weird. Come on, just look around. A community of believers that you are walking in life with. And if you're married, how many married people do we have? Raise your hand. Awesome. We have a, a wonderful community of married people. If you're married, you're likely sitting next to the person that you need to not go alone in life with. That's your person, right? And I'm so glad that we're going to be hosting a specialty marriage class in 2023 because we're going to be breaking down the lies that culture tells us about marriage. And there's a lot of lies. Your independence is the most important thing. That's a lie. That you deserve to be happy all the time. That's a lie. That you deserve to get your way. That's a lie. That you, that, you know, she stays at home with the kids, so you deserve to spend, you get to spend money how you get to spend it because you spend all day working hard for it. That's a lie. Well, if you make more, you can spend more, right? Well, that's a lie. Women, you never need to depend on a man. That's a lie. When it comes to money, though, there are more lies that creep into our marriages. Did you know married couples fight over the very thing that could unify them and empower them to do great things? 70%, lock in that statistic real quick. Just try to think of that number. 70% of this congregation. 70% of married couples argue and bicker about money ahead of chores, togetherness, sex, snoring, and believe it or not, what's for dinner? 70% of married couples bicker and fight about money more than all of those other things. So how do we get ahead in this conversation about money? Again, I'm not going to put these on the the screen, but two things. Two things, married couple, that you can write down that I want to help you. Number one, build a budget. Build a budget. This is simply telling your money where to go instead of at the end of the month wondering where all your money went. And I know Tracy talked about budgeting in details a couple weeks ago. I encourage you, go back, listen to that lesson. But here's my suggestion. Get together with your spouse once a month. Don't do it when kids are running around. Don't do it whenever you're exhausted and worn out. Find a date night, sit down together, and ask yourself two questions. Talk about two questions. One, where did our money go this month? Just look at the bank account. Where did it go? Question number two, where do we want it to go? Have those conversations. Build a budget with your spouse. Second thing, grow in self-awareness and in empathy. Talking about money, especially with people that we're closest with, especially people we're sharing accounts with, it's about learning to listen to one another. And in these conversations, you're going to have to put your agenda to the side, your desires to the side, and have to learn to listen. And what you will find is you will begin to hear your spouse's fears, their dreams, and their hopes. 
And together, you can begin framing the goals that are going to help you get to the life you both want to live. Money is a tool. It's just a tool. And it magnifies what is actually true about our heart and our mind. That's what money does. If you want to know where your heart and mind is, where is your money going? What are you spending time on? Have those conversations with your spouse and soak it in prayer. Pray for God to cover you and your family and your finances and to give you clarity. And if you're single, single people, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, embarrassing, but single people, I'm not leaving you out. Because single people, you are the most in danger of living a selfish life. Because it is true, for the most part, you just have to keep yourself alive. (laughs) You just got to feed yourself. You don't have a family. You don't have a significant other. You just got to keep yourself alive, pay for yourself, earn your money. And so it's natural to think, what do I want? And to not live a life that is generously outpouring to the people around you. And so single people, find somebody who manages their money well, glean wisdom and insight from them, implement their guide in your life. And begin preparing your life to live generously. Let's go to the third mistake. Third lie, sorry, the third lie culture tells us about money is that you are your mistakes. (coughs) There's many of you in here who believe this. Instead, I want you to hear 2 Corinthians when it says, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new has come. You see, when it comes to money, every single person in this room has made a mistake somewhere along the way. It is just part of the gig. It's part of being human is that you will make a mistake. You will stumble along in your money pursuits at some point. And it's true, your money mistakes may have more zeros behind it than somebody else in this room. But it's not about keeping a scorecard when it comes to our money, because I need you to hear this. Your net worth is not your self-worth. Your net worth is not. It does not equal. It doesn't compare. You cannot put it side by side to your self-worth. Those mistakes that you have made, they do not define you. They are not your identity. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. The new creation has come. God sees you through the blood of Jesus. You are not your mistakes. And you may have to work to get yourself out of your mistakes. You may have to discipline yourself to do hard things, but those mistakes do not define you. Jesus has already defined you. And we all make them. Darian and I, we were out of town on a trip one time, on a youth trip, And we got a a phone call from our water company. And they were talking about, (coughs) excuse me, a a huge upcharge in our water bill. They even went out and did the, you know, tracker to make sure we didn't have a leak somewhere, nothing. But when I talk about an upcharge, we usually hit somewhere under $100. This was over $500 charge on our water bill. Panic, just freaking out. What's happening? Darian's looking at me because like it's summer and I'm watering the yard a little bit more. And I'm like, I don't think I was watering it that much. Like, what's going on? Well, comes to find out there was a toilet in our back room that was just running a full month. It was just running nonstop. Life happens. You're going to make mistakes. 
In 2020, we were preparing to go to Peru with some of our friends. Well, we all know how 2020 went for humanity, right? Needless to say, we lost around $1,000 off of that trip. Life happens. Mistakes happen, but they do not define you. They don't have to define you. That's not your identity. Let's go to the last, the final lie that culture tells us about money. That you only live once. Wait a second. Isn't that true? <laughs> like, I'm not trying to pull a Lazarus on you right now. Like, don't we only, like, just live once? What, what are we talking about here? And What I'm talking about is a mindset that you only live once. That instant gratification. That I just want to do what's good for me in the moment kind of feeling. And it will completely take over your life. Here's what Proverbs says. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for their righteousness. You see, whenever you are a good and wise person, you are thinking about generations beyond yourself, beyond your children, beyond your kids' kids. And here's the truth. Your kids, they are watching you. Your grandkids, they are watching you. And not just watching how you spend money or what you do with your assets. They are watching what your relationship with money looks like. Do you own it or does it own you? Are you serving God with what you have or are you serving yourself? You see, culture doesn't think long term because culture needs you to spend your money today. They need you to. And it's true. You only have your life to live, your decisions to make. But you would be a fool to think that your life and your decisions only impact you. So I want to end with this verse as we close out here to bring all this together. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that both you and your descendants may live. I pray for that level of clarity in your life as you navigate your finances against the lies that culture tells you about your money and about what scripture and God tells you about them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to lift you up in this spirit of thankfulness in this month when we are outwardly focusing, when hopefully our heart is thinking about others, God, I just want to keep emphasizing that the cult, that culture, that our world is going to continue to make us believe these lies, that we are the things that we buy, that our happiness is dependent on what we have. God, that we have to just do this alone. So Father, I pray that the life that we live now, it won't just be focused on us. Father God, that we will be focusing on the generations beyond us. That we will put our heads up and see the people that are suffering near us. God, that we will build a life, build our finances to such a way that it's not just serving us or just living day by day, paycheck by paycheck. But Father, that we build a life in our finances that honors you 
and can be active in showing our love to those around us. <coughs> Father's finances are such a fickle thing. Sometimes they define us. Sometimes we feel on top of the world and we have it together. So Father, whatever season people in this auditorium may be in, I pray for your comfort and your clarity in their life. May you be glorified for all the things you have given us and continue to give. And God, may our eyes be focused on that as managers of the wealth you have given our life. We say this prayer to give honor and glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.